Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night and we ask that you would take this time that we've dedicated to the study of your word and help us to study. But Lord, we pray that you would teach us not just for the sake of adding knowledge, but on how we ought to live and walk with you through this world in which we live. Give us grace to be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Bibles, if you would. If you need an outline, wave your hand there. I think we still have a few in the back. If not, we'll make some more copies. And um, let's just go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were actually scheduled to have a, a missionary to Chile here tonight. And uh, he called me up yesterday and he said, well, with everything going on, would it be better if I came next Thursday night? And I said, brother, that's up to you. And so he'll be coming next Thursday night. And uh, so we'll look forward to having Brother Pittman, a missionary to Chile, uh, with us, uh, Lord willing, next Thursday night. And uh, John chapter 12, we're just going to continue where we left off here as we're going through a harmony of the Gospels, putting the records together. And it is interesting, as you read the commentaries and the different things, you'll have one of them say, well, we're going to take Matthew's reckoning of the events and his timeline and base it on that. And another one says, no, Mark was the one that was more chronological. We'll use it. And somebody else says, well, John disagrees with everybody, so we'll just take John's and... And none of that is really a good approach to the Scripture. Because what it is doing, it is putting in as one of your standards that there are disagreements in the Gospel record. Now, last time I checked, there weren't any disagreements in the Bible. Uh, there aren't any mistakes. It wasn't that this one got it wrong and that one got it right. And, and so let's not take the gospel records and put them at strife with one another. Amen? Uh, because it is four records of the same events. And tonight, uh, I just want to... One of the things that we're going to try to do here is... Um, uh, put some things in and give you an understanding. It was interesting. I was reading a commentary that I'd actually inherited from my great-grandfather. It was about 120 years old. It was called An American Commentary, uh, and uh, it was written by Baptist. And I said, wow, let me just look in here. And the first event that we're going to talk about here, let's just start reading and get into the text. Then six days before the Passover, came, uh, I'm sorry, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. 
Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by the reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Now verse 12 says, On the next day much people that were come together to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, and we start the narrative of what we call Palm Sunday. Now, I want you to just, before we get into the discussion, just read the scriptures. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And we'll start in verse 6. And, well, let's just look at verse 2. Here's the time frame, Matthew 26. It says, You know that after two days is the feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Now skip down to verse 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment. And we go through the same story we've just read. The only problem is, Matthew said, two days. John says, six days. Apparent contradiction in Scripture, correct? Well, it's apparent. And if you don't take some care to study the thing out, you're going to think that Matthew and John disagree with each other. And uh, I will be honest with you, until I... uh, was able to get this old commentary out and go through. I'd had different thoughts, and I knew there could not be a contradiction because we believe that God gave us a perfect word. Amen? The commentator just simply put in one of the few helpful things I found in a commentary. Uh, What is the center of Matthew's account? Let's just stay there for a minute in Matthew... Matthew 26, and we come to verse 14. Jesus explains the act of worship that was uh, done to him by Mary. But in verse 14, then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest. We now have Judas going to the chief priest and plotting and planning with the chief priest the betrayal of Jesus. And if we were to read Mark's account, Mark's account is going to echo very thoroughly uh, what is written in the book of Matthew. And 
He just simply said, Matthew and Mark put the anointing of Jesus by Mary here because this is when Judas went to the priest to begin the process of the betrayal of Jesus. And the reason why Judas went was because of the event that happened at Simon's house when Mary anointed him. Now, let me go through that again because I'm just getting some... uh, Okay. Is John gives us the event happening six days before. As we come through the events before the Sabbath, that would have been Friday afternoon... Jesus would have arrived in Bethany at the house of Mary and Martha, probably, or maybe he stayed the whole time at Simon's. The Bible is not very clear. He would have rested the Sabbath day. When Sabbath was over, it is now after sunset Saturday night, they made him the supper. That is when Mary anointed Jesus. What Mark and Matthew are doing is they are giving the events of Judas going to betray Jesus, which was two days before the feast. And the reason Judas went to betray Jesus was because of what happened Saturday night in Bethany before Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem when Mary anointed him. And so they're just not necessarily giving us a true chronological order, but they're giving us the same story that John does. They're confirming that the reason that Judas went to betray Jesus was because of the act of worship that Mary did. And so now, do we have disagreement with the two? No, because it was this time that Judas went And they just put the story of the anointing there so that we would be connected with the reason why Judas went. I figured if that was good enough a hundred years ago, it ought to be good enough today. Amen? Uh, Actually, it was a little more than a hundred years ago, but it was a very simple biblical approach. And I just love this story. And I'd like for us, as as, uh, I hope you're still there in the book of Matthew, to take a few minutes... We read in John that Martha served. Now, how many of you remember back the first time we met Mary and Martha? Jesus Jesus was constrained to go to the house. Martha had him there. And what was Martha doing? Martha was making a big dinner. How many of you ladies like making big dinners? I'll tell you what, I like big dinners. But it's an awful lot of work to make them now, isn't it? And Martha got so wrapped up in making the dinner, and I know how ladies are. You don't want anything to be less than what it can be. Isn't that right? I mean, you want the the meat cooked right, and you want the veggies all nice and not turned to mush, and, you know, different. You want everything just right. And... Somebody as important as Jesus was at your house. How careful would you be? But Martha got so caught up in the serving, 
she looks at Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and says, Jesus, will you at least tell her to give me a hand? I mean, she's got an attitude. How many of you have ever gotten an attitude? Even about serving Christ, amen? Sometimes we do. We think we're doing so much and we want somebody to help. I'll tell you something in John chapter 12. Martha got her attitude fixed. She didn't care what anybody else was doing. She was serving. Hey, don't get mad at Martha. She got it straightened out. Lazarus was one of the guests of honor. Why? Because Lazarus had been resurrected from the dead, and John tells us that that act, that miracle that Jesus did, which was one of the reasons why we made that one of our center stopping points, going through the gospel, that turned the heart of many of the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, many of them, the lawyers, they were there to comfort Mary and Martha at the loss of their brother. And when Jesus called him out of the tomb after four days, he said, he's the Messiah. Forget you Pharisees at Pharisee headquarters. Uh, Forget you priests who think you know how to run the temple. Only God could do a miracle like this. And they turned their back and they believed on Jesus. You know, if you're going to believe on Jesus, you've got to get rid of religion first. Amen? But it was Mary that we might say stole the show, was it not? It was Mary that brought in that box of ointment that was extremely valuable, 300 pence. And we've been through this many times. A pence was a day's wages. How long would it take you to work 300 days? Well, you only work if you work five days a week. That's 20 days a month. So that would be 15 months salary. How many of you wish you could have 15 months salary? I mean, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That'd solve a lot of problems. I mean, most of us will never hold that kind of money in our hand at one time, unless it belongs to somebody else. Amen? Um, It's just the way we are. Yet Mary had this huge amount of money invested in this one little box. Now, we just spent some time with the woman who had anointed Jesus' feet that was a sinner earlier. Not same person. Not same event. Jesus told her, Thy sins are forgiven thee told Mary something completely different here, didn't he? You still in Matthew? Let's read what he told Mary here in Matthew. It is worth our time to spend some time for this. Verse um, uh, 12 says, For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, 
Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, this shall also there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. That's pretty impressive, is it not? Mark put it in his text, she hath done what she could. Great name for a song, isn't it? But actually there was one written with that title, and uh, I really enjoy that, that song that Julia wrote with that title. And because is that not what our life ought to be about? Mary took advantage of this moment to perpetrate what we might call the greatest act, the greatest single act of worship in the Bible. It's interesting how many great things women do in the Bible, is it not? Mary was not a preacher. She was not going around and doing all these things, yet she has taught you and I a lesson that we need to understand. And one of the things I love to point out here is the next day when Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, anybody that got within yards of the Lord Jesus Christ was able to smell Mary's offering because that stuff doesn't go away. This was not just, you know, a $50 bottle of perfume or a $200 bottle of perfume. This was a precious ointment. It, the smell did not evaporate. It, it was going to be there. In fact, six days later when they beat him, I wonder as they plucked the hair from his head, if the ointment still wasn't smelling on their hands. How haunting would that have been for those men in their um, insane anger, I guess would be a good word for it, as they are slapping Jesus and literally pulling the beard out of his face and and ripping the hair from his head and and saying, prophesy thou Christ who smote me. And then they went home and where did that come from? Uh, It came from Mary, my friend. Because she wanted people to know who Jesus is. You know what? I doubt King Herod in all of his riches, Caesar, in all of the luxury of Rome, had the wherewithal to have what Mary did to Jesus happen to them. You got to get this. There's a reason why it's recorded in the scriptures. They made Jesus a supper 
to celebrate His coming to Jerusalem. You wonder where all the people were and how everybody knew what Jesus was doing on what we call Palm Sunday. I'll tell you what, it was connected to this dinner at Bethany. Bethany was a little town, just like we talked about little towns. Everybody knows everything that goes on in a little town, now don't they? Everybody knew. Every visitor that went through town, somebody was looking for someone else to gossip to and tell them the story of this ridiculous thing that Mary had done. The three Gospels that record this event event are very clear. As Mary perpetrated this act, as she performed this act of worship on the person of Jesus Christ, by making this ointment, this extremely valuable 15 months wages, totally worthless for any other use. You see, that's the idea of holy. It is taking something and making it worth only something when it's connected with Jesus. See, now that the ointment had been opened and poured upon his purpose, on his person, there was no other purpose or use for that ointment. That's why Jesus accepted it as worship. You want to worship Jesus. Make your life totally worthless for any other purpose except what is connected to Christ. Is that not a great definition of worship? It is making your life worth something to Jesus. But how it did the exact opposite work in the heart of Judas. How he looked at that and was filled with indignation. The other apostles, they shared Judas's upset. In fact, Jesus said, let her alone. I don't think he said, let her alone, boys. I think he said it in a way that they were all scared to say anything else. Just like he would say on Palm Sunday to the Pharisees, if these should hold their peace, even the stones would cry out. Jesus didn't whisper those words. He said it with the authority of Almighty God. I'll bet those Pharisees were literally shaking in their their shoes, in their sandals as they heard those words. They They were filled just like Judas was. You see, true worship is either going to draw you closer to Jesus and surrender to Him, or it's going to push you further away from Him. It's not just going to be, well, that happened, that's a nice story. No. You're going to move. You're going to move one direction or another. And one of the points that I just want to touch on tonight is that a lot of 
theologians and things, they want to make a big deal about the triumphal entry. Jesus rode the little donkey and their colt through the gate of Jerusalem. And they want to say this was the point where Jesus was presented as the Messiah of the Jewish people and was rejected. Uh, I'm not real sure about that. Because how many of you remember the feeding of the 5,000? It says Jesus would not commit himself unto them for he knew what was in the heart of man because some of them wanted to come and to make him king. I want to challenge you that the early church was Jewish. Now, I thank God for everybody that's here tonight. But the early church in Jerusalem, just months after Jesus' ascension into heaven, already had at least 12,000 members. Talk about megachurch. I mean, it was huge. It wasn't until Paul's persecution that that church was broken up and people were scattered abroad and then they had lots of churches and... Let me read the book of Acts. Do you think the entire city of Ephesus were going to get upset about 25 people meeting together on Sunday morning and praying? No, there was a lot more than that. They burned 50,000 pieces of silver worth of demonic manuals from that city. A slave could be bought for 30 Stop and think about how much, how big an influence. In fact, it was to the point where the head of the silversmith set the entire city on a riot. There were some things happening in these churches that changed the way the entire city viewed God. You see, the problem with what, where most people go is they say, see, the Jews rejected Jesus. And then they use that as a platform to hate Jewish people. If you ever meet somebody like that, number one, don't argue with them. Number two, don't talk to them. Just get away from them. Because anybody that can use the Bible to hate Jewish people is so far perverted in their understanding of the Scriptures that you're not going to straighten them out. You can pray for them, but they've already rejected so much of the Gospel and what's in the Bible. Just get out of there, my friend. It's a scary world in which we live. And the simple truth of the matter is the scribes and the Pharisees had already called him Beelzebub. How can you reject Jesus more than that? They said he cast out demons through the power of the God of corruption. That's who Beelzebub is. 
the God of the flies, and I'm being very kind uh, because the God of the flies was actually the God of what flies were before they became flies. That's what it's talking about, the God of corruption. And you can't reject Jesus more than that. They had already taken counsel. Remember John chapter 11 after the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead? They had already said, God has prophesied that Jesus is going to gather all the children of God together in one. Was he right about that? That's right. God spoke through the wicked Caiaphas. You say, how did that happen? I don't know. I just believe what the Bible says. But they had already decided that they were going to be the ones that put Jesus to death. Isn't that right? So what was the triumphal entry all about? Well, let's put it in the context of what Mary did. Not even a king. The kings that were in the area, the rulers that were there. I'll tell you what, Pilate would never think in his wildest dreams, even if the funds were available to him, of doing such a thing to himself because he knew what everybody would think of him. Never would happen. But it did happen to Jesus. I wonder if Pilate could still smell it when he stood there on trial. Bet you could. And Jesus was being shown for who he is at the supper at Simon's house. Only God deserves that kind of treatment. Amen? Do you think the triumphal entry the next day could not have just been the next piece of showing whoever wanted to know who Jesus really is. Don't get out your theological equations and try to work them into the scriptures. Let the scriptures dictate what goes into our theological equations, my friend. Jesus was showing himself to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why Matthew tells us that there was a donkey and her colt. The, uh, I think it's Mark just mentions the colt. Uh, if I'm uh, not mistaken, I think it's John just mentions the donkey. And do we have to spend time to put all this together? Uh, they just were looking at the same events from different things and di at different angles and didn't put all the information just as you might do or I might do. In fact, if we had all four stories telling us exactly the same things, what would the critics say about the Gospels? Well, they all just sat down in the room and made it up. 
The fact that there are little differences in here tell us that they were independent histories brought to light under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God because there's total agreement with what goes on. There doesn't have to be a disagreement just because the information isn't exactly the same. Are, are we together? And what we are trying to do here is understand the message that is actually in the Scriptures. And that message is Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the only one that deserves this kind of attention. And I love the picture as he sat upon the, um, uh, the mother donkey, put his feet upon the back of the colt. It would have been a moving throne down the hillside into the city of Jerusalem. Through the eastern gate that's been walled up for centuries. You know why? Because somebody read in the book of Daniel that the Messiah would come through the eastern gate. So they walled up the eastern gate and they put a cemetery out there that is out there today. Because you know what? The king of the Jews can't walk through a cemetery without becoming unclean. The only thing was, Jesus had already been through the eastern gate before they walled it up. And read the book of Zechariah and read the book of Revelation. He's going to split that mountain wide open and rearrange all the geography so that the king can come through the gate once again and do it the right way. Because he's in charge, amen? But he rode that little donkey right up to the steps of the temple through the eastern gate. And he went up, and there's a little bit of, of difference here. And I would challenge you to read it in the same light as we have the story of the anointing with Mary. Uh, I believe Jesus walked right up those stairs and started throwing some of those sellers of, of the sacrifices out on Sunday. But what came to him? The blind, the lame, the little children crying Hosanna to the King of Kings as he sat on the steps right there at the court of the Gentiles. And I love John's account. Oh, I just love it. The Pharisees are talking among themselves. John apparently heard what they were saying. He said, Perceive how ye prevail nothing. The whole world is gone after him. We've lost it. And yet unbeknownst to them, just a few days, and they would think they won because they would see Jesus crucified. And yet, was it their planning and plotting that sent Jesus to the cross? No, read John chapter 10. He says, I, I lay down my life that I may take it again. Jesus was the willing sacrifice for all sins, for all mankind, forever. Both past, present, and future. Aren't you glad about that? And so... 
Jesus. Saturday night, they made a supper after sunset. He was anointed by Mary. He rides the donkey through the city of Jerusalem up to the temple. He looks on all things and then he retires back to Bethany where he came from the day before, early in the morning. And we're going to see that pattern repeated throughout the week. Jesus is going to come back and forth, the cursing of the fig tree. That's going to happen Monday morning on their way in. Some of the disciples are going to see the change in the fig tree immediately. The rest of them are going to see it the next morning as they come in and realize that that tree that Jesus cursed had been dried up from the roots. It's going to take a couple of days, but Judas is going to make his way to the chief priest and the Pharisees and agree to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Just a token of what that ointment was worth. I think he was still mad about missing out on the financial opportunity of the ointment as he went out to hang himself the morning of the crucifixion. You see, we get to what worship really is. They worshiped Jesus as he rode the donkey down the hill into the city of Jerusalem. They worshiped Jesus as he ascended the steps to the temple. They worshiped Jesus at the dinner Saturday night at Mary's house. And if these little ones had not cried out, the stones would immediately have begun to praise him. Because God was trying to show anyone who had enough sense to understand what was going on that Jesus truly is the Son of God and God the Son. That He is deserving of the worship of all mankind. And that He is the Savior of the world. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just ask that you would let us see these events in the way that the scriptures intended them to be seen. And Lord, in our own minds and hearts, that we would lift up Jesus and give him the honor and glory due his name. That, Lord, though we cannot, as Mary did, anoint you with expensive ointment, Lord, we can follow her example in taking the most precious thing that we have, which is our life, and making it totally useless to the world. Oh, Lord, that we could accomplish that in our lives. that you would use us to lift up the name of Jesus and to give him glory. Lord, we're thankful that Jesus did not come 
just to be worshipped. He came to pay the price for our sins. And Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see our own sinfulness and your holiness. And that we would allow you to make us holy. That we would truly be useful in heaven and useless on earth. That we would only have a value and a use when we're attached to Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to ponder and to think about these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart and you'd like to add a few prayers of your own. Just keep our heads bowed. If you need to slip out and spend a few moments, the altar is open.